The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. November 8 edition of PFTPM coming up. An interview with Aiden Hutchinson, the Lions defensive end. He was available courtesy of USAA on Monday. You may have seen the clip already on PFT or on YouTube. It's going to be part of this podcast. If you are listening, you might not have heard it yet. You'll hear it coming up. And yes, I'm still wearing my Viking Salute to Service hoodie. I should buy one for every team. I'd like to wear this every day. It's incredibly comfortable. I'm not getting paid anything to say this. This is unsolicited unpaid gratuitous ads send me more of them free I, I i bought this one though but send me more of them free i love this send me more of them free so it's great i'm seriously i'd like i could wear it every day i could wear it to sleep i probably should wash it at some point it's it's awesome and it looks it looks like it's leather they did a great job with it it's not leather it looks leather i don't know they should make more clothes that aren't leather that look leather i'd never really thought of that before why pay for leather when they can just make something that's not leather that looks like leather? Would be cheaper. Was cheaper. Still not cheap to get one of these, but the price was the same as it was every other year. I've got three of them now. One that's all green, one that's green with the actual bright colored Viking logo, and then this one. I don't know if I bought last year's. I didn't really like last year's. I see them, and sometimes it's like, I know right away I like it, or I know right away I don't. This year's, when I first saw it, I thought, I don't like that. And then when I saw them on the sidelines, I thought, I kind of like that, which proves yet again the value of advertising. I have a feeling in my upcoming travels, I'll see plenty of people wearing all sorts of different salute to service hoodies because they are awesome. And I'm not getting paid to say that. But if NFL Shop or any of the teams want to send me one, I'll wear it. That's the quid pro quo. Thank you very much. All right. Some topics before we get to Aiden Hutchinson. And this is one of those where I spend a little time before I do this, trying to gather my thoughts, what's there to talk about. And at first I was thinking, boy, there really isn't much today. But once I started thinking about some different things that come up on the radio spots I do across the country and things that maybe we don't get to on PFT Live, it's like, you know what? There is a lot of stuff to talk about. And I want to start with Bill Belichick. I feel like it's a given at this point he's not going to be back next year. Isn't that the most surprising potential outcome? If we would put all of the various permutations on a board and we were to assign odds to them, and, and I suppose somewhere you can bet on what's going to happen with Bill Belichick. I haven't seen those odds posted by DraftKings or FanDuel or anyone else, but I bet there's some offshore .ag sports book where you can bet on whether he's back, whether he's fired, whether he resigns, whether he retires, whether there's a mutual parting, or, or the most intriguing potential outcome, whether he's essentially traded to another team. We spent some time last week talking about the Washington scenario. There's some people in league circles that think that could happen. I'm not reporting it will, 
It's just something to keep an eye on. That's what we do here. This isn't just reporting transactions. I mean, you can go to Twitter and there are seven to 10 accounts to follow if you want someone to tell you five minutes before it's announced by the team that a player has been cut or signed or placed on IR or whatever. You're going to find out five minutes from now anyway. What we try to do is identify trends, take the current information, process it, synthesize it, run it through 22 years of experience and say, you know what? This may be something to keep an eye on. And sometimes, now this isn't one of those times, but then again, I wouldn't tell you that on the occasions when it was one of those times, but sometimes the things that are my ideas are things that have been told to me by someone who knows it's exactly going to happen and says, don't say it's going to happen. Just present it as your idea. This is not one of those occasions. And I guess all I'm saying is if I ever present an idea and I don't <laughs> apply that caveat, it's fair to assume that someone gave me that idea with the express understanding I would present it only as my idea. This one is not my idea. This is one that I've heard from someone that it's being talked about in league circles. It's not something that anyone believes is going to happen. It's something that people believe could happen. So if we accept that the longest odds of any of the things that could happen with Bill Belichick would be him coming back next year. Do you really, stop, stop, just stop and think. Do you really think he's going to be back next year? Do you think he's going to be back? No, you don't think he's going to be back. It's just a question of how it ends. How does it end? Does he get fired? Oh, wait, and I don't want to hear, oh, but he signed an extension, lucrative extension. That was just put out there as a misdirection. That that That's not going to stop a change from coming if a change is coming and it feels like a change is coming. That's just, okay, how much money do we have to pay him to go away? And that's if they just fire him. See, there's an interesting game of chicken that could unfold as soon as the season ends. Cause we know what happens on, and they used to call it black Monday. Hell, it doesn't even wait till Monday anymore. We know a lot of the potential openings before the Sunday night final game of the regular season is even concluded. So Monday morning, let's assume that there's no mutual parting or resignation or termination or retirement of Bill Belichick on the day that the 2023 regular season concludes January what 8th is it January 8th I think it's January 8th of 2024 the next day what happens we wait we wait for the puff of white smoke or the puff of black smoke or the puff of whatever smoke tells us what the hell is happening now what do the Patriots do if they want to wait for one of the other teams that will inevitably have vacancies to make a phone call to the Patriots and say, what would it take to hire Bill Belichick? What would it take for you to release him from his contract and for us to approach him, have a communication with him, have a negotiation with him and get him to come coach our team? What compensation would you want? And I talked about it last week. That's how it works. Ostensibly. You make the call to the team. You work out the deal for compensation. Then you talk to the coach and you try to do it. So the Patriots sit back and wait for the phone to ring. They sit back and wait. And they wait. They wait for that phone to ring. Now, the way this goes, you've got to go about your search 
you've got to do your interviews. You've got to comply with the Rooney rule. You can't just immediately call the Patriots and say, hey, we want to hire Bill Belichick. Once that gets out there, you may have a hard time having the kind of search that will comply with all requirements of the Rooney rule. So it's going to take some time. And I just thought of something while I was saying that. Bear with me. You could have a game of chicken, could, where the Patriots are waiting for the phone to ring and the teams are waiting for the Patriots to fire him. Like, why do we need to give you anything if we're just going to sit back and wait for you to fire him? We'll call your bluff. We're two weeks in now. We haven't hired anyone. We'd like to hire Bill Belichick. You don't want to keep him. When are you going to let him go? The longer they wait, the harder it is for their own search to be done. That's where it can become very interesting. If we assume there's going to be the conscious uncoupling, remember, was that a Gwyneth Paltrow line from a few years ago, conscious uncoupling? If there's going to be a conscious uncoupling of the Patriots and Bill Belichick, how's it going to work? What's it going to look like? Fired, resigned, retired, mutual parting, or, or essentially a trade to another team. And what I thought of as I was saying this, and this is one of the reasons I like doing this, it forces me to think things through. It forces me to think on the fly and it may come up with some ideas I otherwise wouldn't come up with. What if it's all predetermined? What if it's all negotiated before we even get to Black Monday slash Black Sunday? What if there's a team out there that wants Bill Belichick that has already told the Patriots we're going to work out a deal with you to get Bill Belichick. They're negotiating it now, or they'll negotiate it between now and the end of the regular season. And then it's just, okay, here's how this is going to go. We're going to wait a couple of weeks. We're going to do our search. Then we're going to call you. We're going to work out our deal, even though we know what it is. We're going to work out an agreement with Bill Belichick, even though he already knows what it is. And we're going to make it happen that way. That's another possibility that avoids that game of chicken. That avoids the Patriots having to sit there and say, okay, we're going to wait for someone to call and we think they're going to call. The phone's going to ring. Please phone ring. Ring now. Remember, better call Saul. He'd like to try to put a hex on the phone to get it to ring. I'm doing that because I've got an old landline right here. I use this for some, uh, uh, the cord's too short. I'm going to screw everything up. Anyway, I use that for some radio spots. Although at this point, the cell phone is even more reliable than the connection on the landline. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, are they going to sit there and do this, wait for the phone to ring? Or they're going to have it already worked out. I just feel like the way the Patriots tend to have everything buttoned up. I think they're going to know. I don't know this. I don't know this, folks. I just think, and this is based on 23 years of experience, covering the league and covering the league and thinking about it, writing about it and talk about it. I think the most likely outcome that we'll never know that this was the truth is it's all going to be pre-baked. Like when you watch a cooking show and they make the dish and then they put it in the oven and then they pull out one that's already done. I think the the casserole is going to be pre-cooked on this one if it happens that way. It may not. Maybe there's no one that's willing to trade for Bill Belichick. I mean, the sizzle isn't there. The sizzle that was there five years ago isn't there right now. It's just something to watch very carefully as we get toward the end of the season. Because again, if we were setting odds, the longest ones would be Belichick returns to the Patriots in 2024. I believe at this point he'll be gone. What I don't know is what form that will take. And what I'm watching for is whether or not someone works a trade and gets him to be the head coach of a new team. A couple of other issues, though, to 
Keep in mind, how much are you going to pay him? You can't give him equity. There was a thought at one point that once Bill Belichick was done coaching the Patriots, he'd go to another team as basically VP of football operations and get a slice of equity. Can't do that anymore. The league slammed the door on that back in July. He's still going to want a lot of money. Do you make him the de facto GM? Do you let him run personnel? You could argue that the main reason he's about to be out the door in New England is because of his failure as the GM, not his failure as the coach. And there've been plenty of times where I believe Belichick, the coach has overcome the inadequacies of Belichick, the personnel executive. So does he take over everything? Do they force him to hire someone? Does he reunite with a guy like Scott Pioli, who, you know, when they were together in new England, it was working. Is there a way to reunite with Nick Casario? It was working with the two of them. It really hasn't been working since Pioli, then Casario and Brady gone. So you need somebody who can help set the table and it would be nice to have a pretty good quarterback. An item that I saw just before we got started, I haven't written about it yet at PFT. I've skimmed the article. It is from president of the NFL Players Association, J.C. Treader. The title is Why the NFL On-Field Fine System is Not Fine. Here's the thing to remember before we talk about the NFL's on-field fine system. For the most part, well, not for the most part, all of it is entirely negotiated between the league and the union. When we see those fine amounts that are like ridiculously specific, like the old gong show prize, if you remember the gong show, $532.16 or something like that, like the fines are very specific. They're negotiated by the league and the union. And the procedure for challenging the fines is negotiated by the league and the union. The problem is this year, for the first time ever, the league is announcing all of the on-field fines to the world. What we're not getting is the rest of the story. Fine is appealed. Appeal is successful, fine is rescinded, fine is reduced. We're not told any of that. That's part of what Treader is complaining about. But there's some stuff in here that I find interesting. In 2022, 460 fines were issued by the league. Roughly 100 were rescinded entirely by the hearing officer. It's either James Thrash or Derek Brooks for most of these fines. And another 150 were reduced on appeal. That's 250 out of 460. That means 210 fines stuck as they were issued. 250, the fine was reduced or it was entirely wiped off the board. There are some other issues here that I think are interesting. There's a player who was fined more than $87,000 for illegal use of the helmet. The player's coach had previously reached out to the league for guidance on how to properly execute the technique his player had been fined for, but received no answer. Received no answer from the league. After receiving this fine, which was more than his entire weekly paycheck, the player appealed to the neutral hearing officer who rescinded the entire amount and deemed that there was no violation of the rules. So the NFL is getting some of these things just flat wrong. John Runyon is the guy in charge of issuing the fines. And sometimes he issues a fine. Hearing officer says, no, it's fine. No fine. It's fine. We don't get that information from the league or from the union. Here's one. And this doesn't, I believe, fall under the standard on-field fine process. Now, over the weekend, we reported that Steelers receiver Deontay Johnson was fined $25,000 for comments critical of official to the point where he suggested they were on the take. That isn't part of the standard process. It doesn't go to Thrash or Brooks for an appeal. It's not part of that. It's the NFL exclusively running the appeal. Faking an injury, I believe, falls under that category. A player this year was fined $50,000 for faking an injury. The injury that the player was accused of faking was a concussion. The team's medical staff told him to go down on the field. He came out of the game for a concussion evaluation, which was required by our jointly appointed UNC and AT spotter. 
He was evaluated for concussion, missed the following two series. Despite the emphasis on players self-reporting this most serious of injuries, the NFL determined that it was that a $50,000 fine was warranted. That was also rescinded in full. And I don't think that's the Cam Jordan play because that happened last year. And it wasn't a concussion, I don't think. They're talking about something this year. A player this year who was fined $50,000 for faking a concussion and that fine on appeal was rescinded. And that's significant as well if it's not part of the standard process negotiated by the league and the union with Thrash or Brooks presiding over the appeal. If this is the league's internal process where the league has final say, saying, you know what? Yeah, we probably got that wrong. We're going to rescind that fine. That that's significant. And it could just be they didn't want to get now that they find somebody $50,000 and made it stick for faking a concussion. There's more stuff in the article from JC Treader, and we'll be writing about it at PFT, but Oh, Oh, here's one more. First time offenders can watch a five minute instructional video at the end of every season for an automatic additional 25% reduction in the amount of an on field fine. 62% of the players did not take advantage of this, right? Which left $440,000 on the table that could have been back in the player's pockets. Treader says we need to work. Let me go back up a step. The union can do a better job of ensuring that players know their appeal rights and that they understand you watch this five minute video, you get 25% of it back. That should be known by everybody. I'm going to post that at PFT. So there's no misunderstanding. And it's like the third to last paragraph of this, of this article. This is something that every agent needs to know. Every player needs to know. When you get fined, make sure you do the five-minute video at the end of the season. You get 25% of it back. That is found money, folks. All right, so we'll be writing about this at PFT. I wanted to talk about it a little bit primarily because I wanted to have a video to attach to the story that fits with the story. So thank you very much. By the way, by the way, I'm going to pause for a second before I hit the next topic because I do want to say thank you to everyone out there who has already bought a copy of On Our Way Home. I would show a copy of it. I've been sending a lot of them out to friends and family and people in the media. It's done well. And I'm happy with the amount of money we've raised so far, the Humane Society of Harrison County, West Virginia. But it's early in the Christmas season. I want to see more. I want to see it moving. And I know of people who have bought like 10 of them because they're going to give them to friends and family members who are visitors of PFT. It's a simple gift. It's a cheap gift. $9.99. Are you kidding me? Think about it. Think about it. Because I know how stressful it can be this time of year. And we're not even in the full season yet. We're just in the preseason to the Christmas season. And you think about all the people you got to buy gifts for. What am I going to buy for this person? And you got to come up with the idea. And then how expensive is it? Can I afford it? Well, anybody that you know that likes PFT, that has heard of me, that doesn't confuse me with the guy on NFL Network who does fantasy football and wouldn't change his damn name, even though he should, frankly. I'm kidding, sort of. Uh, $9.99. Get a copy of On Our Way Home. There's a Christmas gift. Boom. And if you know football fans, people who are aware of PFT, people who watch Football Night in America, $9.99, easy gift. $9.99, easy gift. And my proceeds go to the Humane Society. I'm not making anything off of it. First $10,000, i am paying the taxes on it. I'm going to lose money. I'm going to lose more than four grand for the first $10,000. I don't care. I just want to get this book out there for people to read it because that's the other side of it too. Number one, you're checking your box. Hey, I got a Christmas gift for somebody. Box number two, oh, I'm giving some money to a good cause. Box number three, 
this person's going to read this book and it's going to help them in some way. I think. I think people that will read this book cover to cover are going to emerge from the experience thinking, you know what, this holiday season, there's a relationship somewhere in my life, family member, friend, whoever, somebody I've fallen out of touch with, somebody I had a fight with, I'm going to repair that relationship this holiday season. And hopefully, if they read On Our Way Home and get to the full ending of it, they'll come to the conclusion that it's something they need to do. And that, that, that's good enough for me. That's what I'm trying to do. Trying to, trying to improve lives one life at a time or something like that. All right. One life that hasn't been improved this week, Ryan Tannehill, former starting quarterback of the Tennessee Titans. We saw this coming. I think the thing that surprised me is, number one, it happened before the season ended. And number two, it was automatically Will Levis. I thought the way things were going to go in Tennessee, I said this today on PFT Live, Ryan Tannehill is the quarterback this year. Next year, Will Levis, Malik Willis compete to see who the starter is. Well, they had a competition after Tannehill got injured and Will Levis won. And then they both played in the same game and Will Levis won, literally and figuratively. So he's the guy now. Tannehill's relegated to the bench. Trade deadline has come and gone, so they can't trade him. But I think back to 2011. Vikings drafted Christian Ponder, traded for Donovan McNabb with Washington, and McNabb was the guy until they decided season's gone sideways, trade deadline's passed, we're going to waive Donovan McNabb at his request, pass through waivers, and I don't think he ever signed with anyone again. I think that was it. I remember him being on ESPN or somewhere, making the pitch for someone to, to sign him and give him a chance to come prove himself again and join a contender that maybe has an injury. He never played again after the Vikings released him. I look at Ryan Tannehill and I wonder, is he going to ask to be released by the Titans? And what will the Titans say? And you know what? They could avoid paying him if someone would claim him on waivers. They would save and avoid the balance of his contract this year. And it's not a small amount of money. Now, would someone claim him on waivers? I don't know. I don't know. Here's why I don't know. And this leads to the next topic. There aren't enough good quarterbacks to go around currently in the NFL. There aren't enough bad quarterbacks to go around currently in the NFL. Sims and I talked Monday morning right out of the gates on PFT Live about all the quarterbacks who are injured, all the guys who are playing because of quarterback injuries. Brett Rippon, that didn't go well, as evidenced by the fact that he's already been cut by the Rams. Think about that. He's the backup. He's the backup. He's the backup all year long. And then he has to play. And they're like, uh-oh, he's gone. Sorry, never should have been here. He's gone. And they brought back Carson Wentz. I'm really surprised it took as long as it did for Wentz to come back. I wonder who else is out there that's going to get a phone call. Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, Blake Bortles, Joe Flacco. Is it finally time for Colin Kaepernick's ship to come in? Probably not. But it underscores the fact that with 32 teams, there aren't 64 quarterbacks who are good enough, and there definitely aren't enough to begin to fill out three guys deep. Tommy DeVito should not be the starting quarterback for the New York Giants this weekend. It just shouldn't happen. The Vikings shouldn't be signing to their practice squad a guy named Tanner Morgan, or maybe it's Morgan Tanner. I don't really know. These quarterbacks that no one has really heard of, except the highest level draft Knicks, and people who were fans of the college where the guy played. Generally speaking, you hear Tanner Morgan, you go, who's that? Dresser Wynn got fired, or got hired and since fired by the Rams. 
last week. Who's that? Shouldn't be that way. And I say all this for one important reason. As I said to Sims on Monday, if I ever talk again about expansion in the NFL from 32 teams to maybe 34, 36, 38, and ultimately 40, just punch me in the face. Just if I ever talk about it again, punch me in the face. You can't expand this league if there aren't enough quarterbacks to go around for 32 teams. It only makes it worse. Now, will that stop it? I don't know. But I'm done talking about it because expansion is a non-starter when you don't have enough quarterbacks to go around. All right. One of the reasons that quarterbacks are having a hard time, there are so many great pass rushers. And we see intentional grounding not get called. We see roughing the passer get called when it shouldn't. We see holding not get called when it should. We see false starts that they look the other way on to give the left tackle and the right tackle a head start into his pass block set. One of the reasons is because the defensive linemen are so good. Here's a conversation I had earlier this week with one of the best defensive linemen in football, Lions second-year pass rusher Aiden Hutchinson. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, joining us now, a guy who got the memo that he was supposed to wear a black hoodie. I'm glad that you did that. Although yours says Hutch. Yours is better than mine. Mine just has the Pirates logo on. He's Aiden Hutchinson, star defensive lineman for the Detroit Lions. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you doing? Good. What, what do you do for your bye week? What do you do when you get a few days off? Um, had a little family Halloween party, had a little team Halloween party, and then I took my ass to Florida, played some golf, uh, chilled out by the beach, and um, it was amazing. Okay, so who does Aiden Hutchinson dress up as for Halloween? Um, I was Victor Van Dorse, and my girlfriend was the corpse bride from the from the Tim Burton um, movie probably like 20 years ago now. That so. is very specific and impressive. <laughs> like, you know, I try to be a little unique, you know? What's the best one you've ever done? What's your favorite? One of my favorites when I was younger, I was Edward Scissorhands um, and, you know, dyed my hair black, had wires on my face, had the, had the scissors for the hands. That was a fun one. That was the Joker one year. Um, my family is very creative and we like to go all out for things. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now, since we're in the neighborhood of Halloween, and I was going to ask you this anyway, are you one of the guys that like has to constantly eat to keep his weight on so you can eat whatever the hell you want? Or do you have to actually watch what you, what you put in your body? Yeah, I'm a, I would say a little bit of both in terms of, I do need to eat a lot, but I also, um, am, am a healthy person. I like to be healthy. So I, uh, 
I need to watch what I eat. I'm not like smashing cheeseburgers and stuff like that. So, but you know, if I don't eat enough meals every day, I will start to lose weight and I'm, I'm staying on top of things this season. Cause I did start, I did lose a little bit of weight last year. How many calories per day? I'm not a calorie counter. I probably, I probably eat about, you know, four hefty meals a day. What do you do? Do you get on the scale to know you're losing weight? Do you weigh yourself? Do your clothes just start, you know, the pants, game pants, <laughs> loose in the back end? How do you know that you're not keeping the weight on? Just, uh, I mean, we, they make us weigh in every every now and then uh, for the team. So that's how I know. That's what, those are my little indicators. I don't weigh myself every morning, but sometimes I feel a little light, you know, I know. Is there a food you really would like to eat all the time if you could that isn't healthy? Oh my god, dude! Um, what like I would eat pizza for every meal, every meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snack. Pizza, I could, pizza. I could. I mean, I, I mean, one of my favorites, and I'm not sponsored by them, none of that. Five Guys Burgers. I'm a big Five Guys Burgers guy. That's a free shout out for Five Guys. But if there was one cheat meal that I would have in this moment, it would be that. One thing I noticed watching some of your highlights, you had an interception earlier, and it's the first time I saw it. Are you not wearing gloves this year? You know, I like to switch things up. You know, variety is the spice of life. So a um, couple games, I decided not to wear gloves this year. And on one of those, it happened to be the one I got the interception. But I thought the gloves had – I thought I didn't think it was a fashion statement, Edward Scissorhands. I thought the gloves had – I thought the gloves had purpose. I thought they had meaning. I thought they, like, made it easier to do your job. You know, they did, and then I was in practice one week, and I, I was wearing gloves, and everyone was all sweaty, and I couldn't grab anything because the gloves, once they get wet, I mean, you're done, you know? So um, that's why I kind of stopped wearing them. Now that it's getting colder, I do wear the gloves because, you know, you don't – you're you know, people, guys aren't that sweaty out there on the field, but I feel like there's a grip component, you know, when it is all – when everyone's all wet and, you know, you can't really grab any, any jersey. I feel like that's that's why I did it. You grew up in Michigan where it gets cold. It's fun to go out and play football or anything in the cold. Do you wish you weren't playing in a dome? As much as I do love the cold, I love that dome. I love that dome when it is zero degrees outside, um, you know, just because, um, man, it's just it's nice to have to have room temperature in that dome. And that's 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 all there is to it. You know, I just I as 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 much as I like to call myself a Viking and, and love the love the cold outdoors and the cold plunges and this and that. Um I don't mind our dome, man. I don't mind it in, in January. <laughs> I know you're not allowed to peek ahead at the schedule, that it's all one game at a time. We're only focused on the next opponent and yada yada. But I'm allowed to look at your schedule. I looked at your schedule and I see the potential for the one seed for the Detroit Lions, which would mean home games, obviously, in the postseason, as long as you keep advancing. Is that a goal that you guys have? Do you talk about it? Do you think about it? Do you understand, obviously, the fundamental difference between playing a playoff game at home versus on the road? Of course. Of course. That's the goal, man. I mean, we don't uh, – you know, we're not naive. I think um, we do take it one game at a time, but it's – it's man, we're, we're in this thing thinking about – the, the big picture, you know, that's, that's how you go through week to week. You, th you, you have that big picture in mind and, you know, one of those small steps to get to that big picture is winning the NFC. And, um, 
that's our goal, man. And, and we're going to do whatever it takes to get it. Who designed your logo? That's that's because most player logos aren't very impressive. It looks like something that, you know, it just need a little more work. Yours <laughs> is awesome. Who designed that? Um, you know, I, I'm not even sure who designed it. It was, it was, it was back um, in like 2021 when we designed this thing. It's but it great. Ended up, it's got the goalposts. I don't know if that yeah, was intentional. It's, kind of, it's awesome. People, people thought it was goalposts, but it's more with the, it's more 1111 uh, as the, the two things. And that's always been a big um, kind of number in our family with the ones. And it's a very spiritual uh, thing in our family. And it's, it's led to a lot of different synchronicities. So um, people do think it's goalposts, which it actually does look like it too. So it kind of it kind of works with that as well. It looks great, and eleven eleven is important because eleven eleven is November eleven is Veterans Day, and you've got something going on with USAA. <laughs> Explain to us what what's all happening there. I teed you up really good for that one. That's good. No, that's good. <laughs> um, yeah. So this Veterans Day, I'm partnering with USAA, uh, encouraging Americans to go beyond thanks uh, in order to honor our veterans really just by having deeper conversations. Um, you know, you can go to usaa.com slash Veterans Day to see more resources. And actually on my Instagram, I just posted a video of me and former Air Force veteran Patrick Fitzhugh, uh, really just discussing his time in the military and seeing what else we can do to give beyond thanks. And, and I, I saw in the materials that USAA sent to us that a survey shows that half of veterans are uncomfortable or awkward when they hear thanks for your service. And that's, you know, I'd never really thought of that. I just assumed it's something that they all like to hear. Do you, uh, what, what should we say and what should we do to express appreciation when we encounter someone out in public who is either in the military or we know that they used to be in the military? Yeah, no doubt. In, in my conversation with Patrick, um, he was telling me, that, you know, while it's great to, to give thanks, he thinks he was telling me that it's important for Americans to, you know, actively participate in, in, in a lot of these different organizations that involve veterans and um, and that ultimately kind of raises more awareness. And um, rather than just by saying a few words that that helps to um, kind of commemorate and, and to celebrate uh, someone more than just a few words. Well, it's a great cause, and it's great that you're part of it. USAA.com slash Veterans Day. Uh, more information that folks can get there, and we encourage people to do so. One more for you before we wrap. That that Ravens game, like, have you made sense? Have you processed what happened that day? Is that just kind of like shit happens? You're not going to go 17-0. and 0. There's just going to be days that it starts and it doesn't stop, and the game's over, and you just chalk it up and you move on. How do you How do you – work through that and move forward after an outcome like that. Yeah. I mean, that game is still just a, a tough pill to swallow right there. And I think, you know, they just caught us on a bad day and, you know, not, not taking away any of their success that they had against us. I mean, they, they dominated that game, but I feel like in this league, man, you play top, top level competition um, every single week. And, and if you aren't at that level, if you aren't, if your awareness, your execution, you're not at that level of your opponent or better than them, it's it's tough to win that game. And, um, you know, that one that one still still hurts a little bit. But, um, you know, playoffs are still alive. Everything's still that number one seed is still alive. And that's what we're going for.
Well, yeah, it's not like college where one game can just end the whole thing. But I'm curious, as a team leader, like, was there anything that when you think back on it, like you maybe saw what was coming and maybe we could do something differently or these are the signs I need to be on the lookout for before we end up in an outcome like that? I mean, is there anything that's kind of like sparked for you that maybe I could make a difference and say something, do something, make something happen here before we step into that bear trap again? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, if we played them again in the, I mean, I guess they're in the AFC. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, you never really know, but I feel like it was one of those games that it got out of hand early. And, you know, we had a lot of, they had a lot of big explosive explosives against us early and that, that hurts, man. And, and, you know, we're not, we weren't playing good complimentary football. And I didn't really think that there's not a whole lot to say in those situations, um, you know, you can do all the hooting and hollering you want to do on that sideline, but if all 11 guys are not on the same page and if all 11 guys aren't executed at a high level, man, it's it's hard to win the league. And so it takes everybody. I keep saying last one, last one. This is the last one, and I promise, because I know you got to go. you got limited time, and I appreciate your time very much. I mentioned college. You went to Michigan. Do you have anything that you want to say anything any comment any thought about whatever it is that's going on right now with Michigan um I think they got a shot to win the national championship if that's what you're asking me no no, that's not what I'm asking oh sorry what are you talking about I'm asking about the controversy that's kind of engulfed the program the past three weeks oh sign stealing and advanced scouting Did, did you know this guy Connor Stallions when you were there Right. Okay. I thought, yeah, I thought you were talking about the No, boys. I'm sorry. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I touched um, the third rail. No, I. Uh, connection's going bad. <laughs> no, I think, um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of talk of the science stealing, but I think there's a lot of things in college football, you know, you can, you can change. Like, I mean, it's hard to read signs in college football when you got three dudes doing signs. There's a lot of ways to hide signs. You change signs. When I was at Michigan, I didn't get any indication of run or pass or anything like that. So um, I don't know, man. I don't. I. I. I have no comment. <laughs> I appreciate you. Well, you had a little bit of a comment there, and I'm so I'm, I'm surprised that you really weren't like I kind of you know. I mean, that's good. You've been focused on your bye week. You've been focused on your Halloween costume. You've been focused <laughs> on drinking your water. You've been focused on playing golf. You're focused on the Lions. That's your life now. All right, Aiden. I appreciate. It. I can keep going. Uh, for a long time with you, but you got other things to do and you probably don't want to talk to me anymore. So we will say thank you. Congratulations on everything that's gone well for you this year. Keep it up and uh, kudos for your work with USAA. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you. All right, buddy. Thanks again to Aiden Hutchinson and USAA. Fun conversation with him. And I think we have a post at PFT. There's a specific web address where you can go learn more about the program that Aiden Hutchinson is supporting. All right, time to answer some questions before we wrap up today's edition of PFT PM. PFT PM Posse gets the first dibs because I follow that account, so his questions show up early. And I'm just going to answer one or two of them here. Here's one. How can teams stop the Eagles quarterback sneak, push, pull, play? Have defenders hit the ground? and roll into the center guard at the snap. Have you heard any ideas on how to stop it? Did you see the Rutgers twist on the quarterback sneak play this weekend? I didn't. The only way to stop it is to get lower. The only way to stop it is to win the inverse tug of war. And because the Eagles have basically three centers 
at left guard, center, and right guard who are low and ready to launch. It's hard to stop. We saw there was a game where the defensive player came over the top, but he really didn't make a big difference. I mean, it kind of did. It, it stopped the guy from getting the touchdown to the first down. But if you do that to the Eagles, like Jalen Hurts is gone by the time the guy does the Troy Polamalu over the top. I just think that what you're going to see if this rule is an outlaw, there will be a premium placed on offensive linemen and defensive linemen who have in their skill set the ability to just either block that play or disrupt that play. And there's going to be a premium placed on quarterbacks who have the squat power, the leg strength to run that play. It's going to change how players are scouted, how they're drafted, how they're coached if this play doesn't go away. And I've done a 180 on it, as you know. My original position was... It needs to go, and now I kind of like it. I kind of like it, even if the Eagles convert it most of the time, and they're starting to run plays off of it. And uh, it, but you know, if they're going to keep it, then I I would like a definitive statement that we're keeping it. That gives teams the green light to begin to factor into their broader scouting processes prioritizing if they choose to finding players who can help them run it and players who can help them stop it. Because if you commit those resources and then the play goes away in 2025, you've wasted time and you've undermined your effort to build the best possible team because now you've got guys who can perform a skill that you no longer need either as blockers or as the ball carrier or as the guy pushing from behind or as the defender trying to stop it. Next question. Drew Porter, in the world of NFL insider information, what is the cost for information? Does the source generally ask or expect something in return? That is a fascinating question. And I don't chase those, and I mentioned this earlier, in derisive fashion because it is derisive, where your reason for being is to tell everyone five minutes before the announcement that something is happening. It's kind of a magic trick that it's easy to figure out. The agent has a text chain that goes out to four or five different reporters. You have a relationship with a team. You've got a deal. You've got an understanding. As Miles Simmons has said before on PFT Live, when he was working with either the Rams or the Panthers, the understanding was that before they announce it, Schefter gets a five-minute window to report it. In theory, ideally, there's no quid pro quo. Now, the quid pro quo can be subtle. Just, hey, never criticize me. I'll give you all this information. I'll put you at the top of my speed dial. I'll text you five minutes before I text anybody else, thereby making the whole gesture of texting everybody else useless. I'll do that as long as you take care of me, as long as you take care of my guys. It's a combination of taking care of the source and taking care of the source's players. That's where Schefter got into a little criticism because there were times where it looked like he was bending over backwards a little too far to protect his sources because that's part of the quid pro quo. Now, is there anybody out there who is paying money or offering things of value in exchange for information? I can't say there isn't. And I can't say I haven't heard some things over the years and other people in the business have heard them too, but I can't prove it. So I'm not going to go into any details, but remember there was that allegation that was made involving an agent before the draft that there was an offer of a vacation or something. Draft my guy in this round and you'll get a free vacation. I've heard some stuff. 
about some offers being made directly to players for value in exchange for information. I've heard about that. Don't know that it's happening. And when you are in this business, you're going to hear all sorts of things. Some of it's accurate, some of it's not. But I have heard some tales, some suspicions, some allegations, some accusations, founded or otherwise, of the possibility that that something was offered. I don't know whether it was accepted. I don't know. I've just heard tales, rumors, innuendo, speculation of the possibility of a tangible offer, a value of some sort in exchange for information. And I mean, it makes careers. Somebody wants to break into the business. If you can find a pathway to information that is better than the established handful of folks who are getting a five minute heads up before something is otherwise announced, if you can plow that field, whatever it takes, baby, that's your path in. So anyway, I'm not saying it's right. Not saying it's wrong. It is wrong. I'm just saying, I'm just saying in this world, there's been some talk about that. And what we do now, I don't go looking for, hey, I want to be first with Carson Wentz signing with the Rams because the audience doesn't care. The audience doesn't care about that part. Who reports it? The question becomes, what do you do with it? What value do you add to it? What analysis do you add to it? That's where we try to distinguish ourselves. And at the same time, we try to be the one-stop shop for everything that's happening in the National Football League with more than just a regurgitation of the news with some semblance of why it's happening and what it might mean. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dr. J144, true or false, 90% of a GM's responsibility is to get the coach-quarterback combo right. Nick Cassari in Houston made two awful coaching hires and bad picks, but now got the coaching quarterback right. He's now securing his job. We've seen other GMs get fired who get everything except the coaching quarterback right. Is it simple? Is it that simple? It is that simple, but I'll go even one step farther. It's more about the quarterback. Yes, you've got to develop him, but having great players is more important than having a great coach. You can have a great coach. If you don't have the players, for example, Bill Belichick currently in New England, it doesn't matter how great of a coach you are. As I had a coach explain to me in the offseason when I brought up the chess match quality of the National Football League, the observation was it's only a chess match if one team isn't made up of queens and rooks and the other team isn't made up of all pawns. If you have a great player, that's what creates job security. So kudos to Nick Casario for getting C.J. Stroud. Kudos to the Texans for developing him. Now they have to worry about offensive coordinator, getting a head coaching job because of his work with C.J. Stroud. And D'Amico Ryans needs to find another offensive coordinator to get yourself into a Buffalo Bills situation where the next offensive coordinator may not be as good. That's why hey, D'Amico Ryans is doing a great job, great coach. But you got a great young quarterback, I want to know that the guy who has helped the great young quarterback get to where he is is going to be there for the entirety of that quarterback's career. Dalip Rao, there were rumblings that a blue chip prospect 
may warn some teams not to draft him. Do you see a day when this actually works like John Elway in 1983? Isn't it at least reasonable for a quarterback, especially to say your line sucks. I'll get killed like Bruce Young, Bryce Young, Bruce Young, Bryce Young. They know who we mean. No way I'm playing for you. Look, I'm a firm believer, firm believer that the consensus top pick in the draft every year should always say, I'm not playing for you. If he doesn't want to play for the team that holds the first pick, the John Elway, the Eli Manning, they happen 21 years apart. It's like a comet that comes around once every generation. It should happen more often than that. I think players are hesitant to be vilified by fans and media. And I'd like to think more media will view it the way I view it. Instead of how dare you, it's an honor and a privilege. No, wait, let's look at this. Let's consider this. Quarterback goes to a dysfunctional team, a team that was sufficiently dysfunctional to earn the first pick in the draft. Their players aren't great. Their coaching isn't great. Their owner is dysfunctional. Their GM isn't good. Why do I want to go there? Why do I want to go there? Because look what happens. The game chews you up and spits you out in two or three years. Trey Lance, two years later, gone. Hardly got a chance to play. Zach Wilson, year three, we've come to the conclusion he's no good. Well, maybe he's no good because he hasn't had good coaching. I don't know. I mean, I'm getting to the point where it's like, mm, we've seen enough. But would it have been different with better coaching right out of the gates? I don't know. <laughs> One of the examples I always point to, 1999 draft. If the Eagles end up with Achilles Smith and the Bengals end up with Donovan McNabb, does Smith become a fringe Hall of Famer? a guy who goes to multiple conference championship games and maybe a Super Bowl, And does McNabb become the guy who without the benefit of Andy Reid, washes out of the league like Smith did with the team that was the most dysfunctional team in football at the time, a team that was horrible pre Marvin Lewis, a team that was finishing fifth or sixth in a six team division every damn year. So I believe that the players who are the top of the stack and we all know who they are by the time the draft rolls around you should have no qualms about exerting your leverage and if you do it you may not get support anywhere else but you're going to get it right here because the best players need to be willing to dictate where their careers start because if it starts in the wrong place it could be finished before it even gets off the ground Dr. J144, do you see Kraft giving Bill O'Brien an audition as interim coach? He was decent in Houston as a coach, but a bad GM. And Kraft will almost certainly separate coach and GM responsibilities moving forward. Billy O may work as coach. I don't see it happening. I don't see Bill Belichick not finishing the season. He's not wired to walk away. And I don't think he gets fired until the season is over. After the season's over, as we discussed earlier, all bets are off. And I feel like it's going to be done. Sam Eichenlaub with the trade deadline gone. What are some big deals in the past that were close to the finish line, but never ended up happening that you know of? Look, I don't remember from past years. I'd have to sit down and think about it. I don't look at these in advance. I did see just before we got started, though, Marlon Humphrey, the Ravens cornerback, said on his podcast yesterday, he was 85% sure that the Ravens were trading for running back Derrick Henry from the Titans. I thought Henry was going somewhere, but when you look at where the Titans are right now, I mean, they were three and four before the trade deadline. Maybe they thought we can win in Pittsburgh. And even though they didn't win in Pittsburgh, their schedule down the stretch isn't horrible. And they are they are in a spot where if they could string some wins together, they could get themselves into striking distance for a playoff berth. 
Here's another one from at Bourbon Street Saints. Will we ever find out if David Tepper chose Bryce Young over any objections from the coaching staff or front office? I don't think anybody's ever going to admit to that if that's what occurred. And that's not how it works. Billionaire's privilege is you don't have to say, go draft that guy. Just by being involved. Anytime you see an owner going to the pro day workouts, anytime you hear stories about the owner directly involved in having dinner with the player, that's when the owner is overstepping his bounds, in my opinion, and not trusting the people who have been hired to be the ones to make the decision. Because if you aspire to continue to work for this person and they're present, and at some point you're going to get an idea of where they're leaning, if you want to continue to work for that person, that's the way you lean as well. And you convince yourself that's the person you wanted, even if without the involvement of the owner, you wouldn't have wanted him. The problem is because the owner's involved every step of the way, you genuinely believe that's the guy you wanted. And you're not going to admit, I allowed myself to give in to what I thought the owner wanted, but why wouldn't you? That's human nature. The owner needs to stay out of it. The owner doesn't need to be going to dinner with the prospects. The owner doesn't need to be at the pro day workout pretending to know what he sees or she sees. Stay out of it. Unless you're also the GM, which Jerry Jones is, which would never happen again. Back in 1989, you could get away with buying a team and making yourself the GM because there wasn't social media to shout you down. It's not going to work now. Buy the team, be a fan, hire people that you trust to run the operation, make them accountable and get out of the way. Let them do their jobs. You're not a football expert. You're an expert in making enough money to buy the team. And that's it. All right. Uh, at Real Goat MLT 12 with my Patriots likely gearing towards a regime change next offseason. How long do you realistically think it'll be before we'll be in a Super Bowl window for ring number seven? I don't know. I don't know because it depends on who the next coach is. When you get a great quarterback again, I don't know. I mean, you're either a great team or you're not. And when you're not, it can continue forever. Or you can be one of these teams that's kind of in the middle where just good enough is just good enough, like the Vikings. The Vikings are never horrible for an extended stretch. They're never great for an extended stretch. They just kind of hover. And once a decade or so, an opportunity arises for them to be pretty good. And then once every decade or so, they're not very good. But the rest of the time, they're just kind of in the middle. Some teams are just content to be kind of in the middle. Is that where the Patriots will be? I don't know. Maximus Overdrive is the NFL. If the NFL, if the NFL is concerned with how long replay reviews take, why not have a limit as to how long a replay review can last? If they can't find evidence to overturn a call within that time, stay with the initial ruling. Look, I remember there was a time when the official on site was making the decision. Remember, they used to have that little booth that you'd go under and then they moved to the tablet because a lot of money to be made in carrying that tablet around and showing it off to the world. It would cut off after 90 seconds. Now that the league is making the decisions, I don't think it ever cuts off. And as a practical matter, and I'll say this when we are in the midst of a protracted review, if it's taking this long, it shouldn't be overturned. If it's taking this long, 50 drunks in a bar wouldn't be saying they got the call wrong. So that's why there should be a limit. There should be a limit. I just think the league doesn't want to tie its hands that way. I think the league wants to have the ability to go beyond it if it chooses to do so. I think it would be smart to have a limit. And the basic explanation being we've decided if it's not clear and obvious within 90 seconds, it's not clear and obvious, period. Because it's clear and obvious, it manifests itself in less than a minute and a half. You could arguably say in less than a minute. 
you could arguably say in less than 30 seconds because it's clear and obvious, obvious. Look, when you look for something, if it's obvious, does it take you a while? Do you have to squint? Do you have to look carefully? If it's obvious, do you need to look at multiple angles? If it's obvious, they're getting caught up in their own process. It should be 30 seconds. Really? It could be less than that. One take. Let's see it. Is it obvious? If it's not obvious, you don't overturn it. If it's obvious, it gets obvious. If I grow a mustache, it will be obvious. Desk in the corner, if Mike Tallman misses the playoffs this year, is he gone? No. Next question. <laughs> Silent toxic, curious about coaches being included in the tampering policy. All the rumors surrounding by Belichick had me wondering if other teams talking to head coaches was part of the policy. It is. It is. They are included. That's one of the reasons why the Dolphins got whacked. They lost their 2023 first-round pick because they were trying to line up Sean Payton and Tom Brady for 2022, and it blew up, and the league found out, and the league hit the Dolphins for tampering both with Brady and Peyton. Yes, they're definitely part of the tampering process, but there's a way to do it that you don't get caught. There just is. Unless you're stupid or unless you're blatant about it, there's a way to do it without getting caught. All right, I should probably wrap this up. Oh, hmm. This is an interesting question. I don't know the answer, but it just caught my eye. Life question. Have you ever eaten a specific type of food that was just so much better than the cheaper version of that food that it ruined the cheaper version. I never really thought about it that way. I mean, I won't eat the cheaper version of pizza that you buy in a store. Oh, apologies to anybody that is inclined to have a PFT PM sponsorship who sells frozen pizza, but um, I've never really thought about it that way. Like once you have the expensive, you know, it ruins you for everything else. I feel like, I've experienced that where once you have that brand of whatever or that type of whatever, you can't ever have the other. Surely, surely I've experienced that. Oh, well, I'll give you the best example. I mean, frankly, I mean, I went a lot of years of my life not really liking wine, not liking that dry taste. Once, once I got a bottle given to me of Camus wine, and I'll accept a Camus sponsorship or just a case of Camus wine whenever they feel like sending me one. I saw Glazer get one. Glazer's buddies with the guy that owns the vineyard. He was showing them off on social media last year. Once I had Camus wine, it ruined me for all other cheaper wines. Once you have it, and like we'll give a bottle to somebody for the holidays or whatever. And once you have it, it's it's like, thank you, but also screw you because it's not ridiculously expensive, but it's much more expensive than the average, you know, $25 bottle of red wine you can buy. It's that's one thing that it's really hard to drink other wine. I, do I really strike you as somebody who drinks a lot of wine? I'm not quite a sommelier, but, but the Camus Cabernet, it's pretty damn good. And it's made it hard for me to accept the cheaper versions of, uh, of the wine. And I think I'm that way. Oh, with cigars too. There's a certain type of Padron that I love that, when you have other cigars now, it's not the same. So I, I'm, I'm stuck with the expense. It always has to be the expensive thing that ruins it for you as to anything that is cheaper than that. All right. Uh, this was a question I saw earlier. The best piece of advice I've ever been given. And it wasn't given to me 
in exactly the way that I eventually interpreted it. It came from my dad when I started law school in 1988. And I took what he said and I twisted it into what he really meant. When I started law school, and he was not one to do a lot of advising, to do a lot of, you should do this, you should do that, why don't you do this? He led by example, he worked hard, he set an example of very hard work every day, no complaints, working every day with zero complaints, it's just what he did. When I started law school, he said, when you start that, you need to act like you're a lawyer from day one. You need to act that way now. Don't wait until you're done with law school. Start acting that way now. And that became for me, basically, whatever it is you're trying to be, act like you're already that. And I think that's a good piece of advice because you know you hear Aaron Rodgers talk about manifestation. I think if you behave like the thing you want to be, you got a better chance of being that thing that you're trying to be. And in many respects, by behaving that way, you already are the thing that you're trying to be. Why don't we end it on that? When we factor in the Aiden Hutchinson interview, it's probably going to be a full hour. That's more than long enough of you hearing from me because you hear from me two hours every morning on PFT Live, as you will tomorrow. And after PFT Live, it's time for the Joint Mega Picks podcast with Chris Sims. We'll do both of those tomorrow. You'll hear the Mega Picks podcast in the podcast feed. As always, we thank you for some of your time. Check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Have a great day. We'll talk again next Wednesday, but before that, Megapix Podcast on Thursday. See you next time. longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keepitfunohio.com for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand